This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Sovereign wealth funds, the large investment funds supported by governments, are mostly a positive economic force that can provide a shot in the arm to the companies and countries they invest in. They're also a stabilizing force for the nation where the investment originates. Those are some of the main takeaways from a new study, The Brave New World of Sovereign Wealth Funds, conducted by Wharton MBA students and sponsored by the Wharton Leadership Center and the Joseph H. Lauder Institute of Management and International Studies. The study suggests there is little reason to worry about these funds acting from political rather than economic motives. In this interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Wharton Management Professor Maro Guillen, who helped oversee the study, and two Wharton MBA candidates present some of the study's key findings. We're joined today by Wharton Management Professor Maro Guillen and two Wharton MBA candidates, Gohan Afianoglu and Hussein Kalawi. We'll be discussing the just-released study they've been working on called The Brave New World of Sovereign Wealth Funds. Thanks for joining us today. Can you offer a very brief description of a sovereign wealth fund? A um, sovereign wealth fund is a fund um, supported by the government of the country, funded by budget surpluses of that country, either coming from exports or coming from oil revenues. Thanks, Gohan. And they typically are uh, invested overseas or are they invested domestically and overseas? It really depends on the fund. Some funds uh, try to deploy these uh, these monies internally, domestically, and some of them deploy them entirely or for the most part uh, abroad in foreign assets. Before the global financial crisis, sovereign wealth funds were estimated to have assets of more than $5 trillion. They're big players. What broad themes are important to understand about their behavior, and what are the chief misconceptions about them? Um, I think one of the um uh, the main misconceptions about Southern Wealth Funds is that uh, there are these um, opaque, um, you know, there are these opaque institutions that uh, invest uh, strategically in assets um, around the world um, in order to use them as, as political tools, you know, given that the, the funds are owned by, by governments. And um, especially in, in the case of some of the funds that we looked into, uh, for example, um, the, uh, the Chile fund that, that I did um, some in-depth work on, uh, found that not to be the case at all. Um, most of, most funds take, um, if anything, minority stakes in um, in large uh, in large corporations. And in the case of Chile, for example, um, they don't uh, they don't purchase um, any um, um, any uh, stock company stocks or bonds at all. All of their investment is in is in government paper, and is really a tool of um, of it's a domestic macroeconomic tool as opposed to some kind of uh, strategic uh, political tool that they look to deploy around the world. Have, the, have there been some cases, though, and I'm thinking about not the latest Iceland crisis, but uh, the, the, the previous one where I, I think it was a sov- sovereign wealth from, fund from one of the Scandinavian countries. I don't know. Norway? Norway, Norway that, was in, that was investing, and it was probably because Iceland was such a small country, but that their, that their investments had an effect on... Uh, on the government there. I think they almost brought a government to their knees. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that specific case, uh, but it is certainly true that the size of the investments has become, you know, significant. Uh, but again, as was uh, just mentioned by Hussein, uh, they uh, are very careful 
in terms of spreading these investments across a large number of countries, sectors, and of course companies if what they buy is equities. Uh, one important thing, of course, to keep in mind about sovereign wealth funds is that I think the controversies have uh, uh, become more frequent over the last few years um, because of the rise of sovereign wealth funds from countries that are a little bit less transparent, but are still reasonably transparent, um, such as, for example, China uh, or uh, Russia. And also because they've shifted a little bit their strategies away from uh, fixed income and more into equities, but always acquiring like really, really tiny uh, equity stakes in, in companies. So when, when there is a problem, it's maybe when they're going for a majority stake. Um, I'm thinking uh, this goes back a few years also, but uh, there was a Chinese sovereign wealth fund, I believe, that was trying to take over Unical oil company in California. And I believe that U.S. Congress intervened and said, no, uh, oil is a strategic resource and we're, we're not going to allow that. Did, did sovereign wealth funds learn a lesson from that? Uh, well, really, actually, technically speaking, that was not a sovereign wealth fund. That was Canuck, which was a state-owned oil company from China, okay. uh, which uh, I believe it was a couple of years ago that uh, attempted to take over a relatively small mm-hmm. <laughs> U.S. Uh, oil company. And uh, there was this big uproar. Uh, so technically speaking, this is not a sovereign wealth fund. It is a state-owned company, and therefore, of course, there is a government behind it. And that may have played a, a role. So I don't think that incident actually is, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, uh, an event that uh, uh, says anything really about uh, sovereign wealth funds as, as Gohan uh, uh, defined them at the beginning of our conversation today. Although politicians might not uh, recognize the distinction. <laughs> okay. It's also true that sovereign wealth funds have helped bail out some U.S. banks uh, in the financial crisis, and they did so at a very critical time. Uh, does that suggest that sovereign wealth funds are less of a worry uh, in the minds of critics than, than they were a few years ago? Well, uh, this also relates back to the controversies problem you mentioned. Um, there has been some sort of um, skepticism about sovereign wealth funds investing in Western companies, mostly in the U.S. and Europe, but um, especially the ones which uh, we visited in the Gulf. They were very keen on uh, having us understand that their purpose is totally economic. It's based on economics and not there's no political decisions involved in their investment process. And from that perspective, actually, they seem to be playing a stabilizing role, especially in this current economic crisis. And with their investments in Western banks, they did come to rescue them at a critical moment. And um, from the perspective of transparency, there are some issues with certain funds, but the ones in the Middle East, especially in the Gulf, they are mostly politic, not uh, not politically and totally economically oriented, and they uh, try to maximize benefits for future generations and to diversify their economies and nothing more. And if you look at the um, um, look at the investments and the behavior of the sovereign wealth funds, I mean they appear to be consistent with what you would expect. If um, if they were looking to maximize um, you know to maximize their gains as shareholders, um, which you know again is evidence supporting um, you know supporting the assertion that these are economic investment tools and methods for the governments to make a prudent um, 
you know, to prudently allocate their resources to where they're going to get the highest returns as opposed to anything else. Why, why do you think that there are some concerns out there about sovereign wealth funds? This is part of the misconceptions perhaps that we spoke about earlier. But what, what do you think are the chief uh, tripwires um, out there that when, when, when critics um, describe their investment methods – what is the position they're taking and why is it often so well, strong? Well, I think most of these sovereign wealth funds are relatively recent. I mean, it is true that the oldest one dates back to the 1950s, the Kuwait Investment Office. But uh, most of the uh, sovereign wealth funds that people are talking about these days are relatively new. They didn't exist, uh, you know, two or three years ago, several of them. And uh, if they existed prior to, uh, you know, the new century, uh, they were so tiny that uh, nobody really cared. Uh, so the problem, I think, uh, or the reason why they have become so prominent and so visible and in some cases so controversial is because of their size, as you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, and uh, why have they gotten that so big? Well, they've gotten so big because there are all of these imbalances in the global economy. There are all of these surpluses, uh, especially in emerging economies because of their exports, because of their uh, natural resources. And, uh, you know, these, these countries essentially don't have... Uh, uh, you know, a desire to spend all of that money. They want to put it aside, which is a great thing, okay? Uh, I think that they should be, uh, you know, congratulated for, for making that decision. They want to provide, uh, you know, future generations of their countries with uh, some cushion of stability. And they also want to avoid short-term problems when you keep so much money in the, in the, in, in, in the country, uh, uh, you know, from export earnings and from, uh, you know, inflation is, is likely to go up and uh, all sorts of macroeconomic imbalances are likely to get worse. So it's a good idea that they're actually investing that money outside of the country. And, of course, it serves a purpose over here because, you know, some of our banks are undercapitalized uh, because we, we need money to come in to, uh, for investment. So as long as they're not making, you know, decisions uh, based on political uh, factors, then why do we complain? I mean, it is money, after all, that is coming over here. Uh, most of the time, it is long-term investment as opposed to, uh, you know, investments looking for short-term gain. Uh, but again, it is controversial because obviously some of the countries that are behind these funds, um, you know, still don't have, uh, I think, uh, the best of all reputations. Uh, but I think uh, that is somewhat unfair in many cases. So I think we will learn how to live with sovereign wealth funds. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's a matter of time. And, of course, uh, sovereign wealth funds, as they make the decisions and they continue to have a good record in terms of not interfering, then I think they will also help themselves by building more of a reputation for being reliable long-term uh, investors. Uh, few people are likely to be aware that these big, ultimately, government-controlled funds actually get special tax treatment when they invest in the United States. Could you explain how that works and why it exists Seems like a pretty big loophole. Uh, yes, we don't uh, get into the details about uh, the uh, the tax treatment of the uh, sovereign wealth funds, uh, but it is true uh, that uh, they can uh, you know escape some of the uh, some of these uh, you know by virtue of their. Uh, you know, their legal status. Because they're government-owned. There's uh, exactly. special provisions. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and we discussed some of those, but not, not, not really in depth in the last chapter of the, uh, of the report. Uh, by the same token, though, they can uh, not take advantage of the tax breaks either, right? Uh, so uh, so it, it really cuts uh, both ways. But once again, I mean, there are a lot of countries in the world, including the United States, uh, which have uh, uh, incentives in place to attract foreign capital. And hey, if the foreign capital is actually coming with a few strings attached in the sense that uh, these funds actually don't want to participate in the management of the companies. They just want to take a 1% or 3% equity stake. 
Uh, and they tend to be long-term that is investors a good thing. also. And they tend to be reasonably long-term investors. And, and then during times of uh, crisis, like over the last couple of years, they're willing to actually bet on, you know, companies uh, and banks in particular, uh, uh, you know, that, 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 that needed uh, capital. Uh, then, you know, I think that is, uh, that is also something that should contribute to, uh, you know, their reputation, right? I mean, they were ready to invest when, when we needed them to do so. Yeah, and there's also there are some studies which indicate that there's there's effort on the side of the sovereign wealth funds to get their uh, people on boards of companies, but there's no indication that these board members act for some political or different ideological reasons or motives, and um, that's why I don't think we should be concerned even if the funds get their people on the on the boards of companies, and uh, they basically try to. Uh, get the most economic benefits out of these companies, which is what any uh, reasonable investor would do. Could you explain some of the risks and opportunities uh, and the implications of those uh, for, of the so for the so-called race to the bottom among countries uh, that allow sovereign wealth funds to invest in them? Um, who are the likely winners, and and why does the United States appear to be losing? Well, could you elaborate a little bit what exactly you mean by race to the bottom? Well, um, in the conclusion of your paper, you talk about um, regulations and some other factors that uh, affect uh, a sovereign wealth fund's desire to be in one country over another. So that if, uh, as seems to be a trend, there's there's a there's a move uh, in the U.S. and particularly in Europe, um, Europe-wide, to provide some kind of barriers. Make it making it more difficult, whether it's taxation or, or regulatory barriers, um, and that that means the sovereign wealth funds may look to other places, and these areas may lose out on the benefits of, of those investments. So uh, that's that's the part I'm referring to from the conclusion of your paper. Yeah, I mean the uh, the uh, in general, and, and this is I think uh, um, manifesting itself in this particular you know sector of activity, sovereign wealth funds. That capital, of course, will flow to the best opportunities, uh, where there are obviously the least uh, barriers or frictions, right? Uh, and it's not only in terms of uh, getting in, but also coming out, right? Because uh, long term always is the long term, but the long term doesn't mean forever, right? So there are uh, distinct time horizons, right? In in all of these all of these uh, investments, that maybe three to five years, or that maybe ten or uh, ten or twelve or, or fifteen years. Um, so. Uh, we, especially here in the United States, I think believe that a well-functioning global financial system is something that is not just, uh, you know, good for the uh, investors, uh, but it's also good for the recipients of the investment because obviously, you know, we might be able to attract funding, right, for all of our needs at a lower interest rate on better terms, right, to the extent that the market works, right. Uh, so, leaving aside, of course, uh, such complications as you know systemic risks and uh, all sorts of other things that uh, can uh, you know uh, um, uh, create problems, right? Um, so, is it a good thing or a bad thing that there is competition among countries to attract uh, you know investment, either from sovereign wealth funds or from other types of factors? I, I personally believe that it's a good thing that there is competition. And uh, race to the bottom, of course, is a term that uh, evokes negative, uh, you know, images, right? 
as if, uh, as in the case, for example, of uh, dumping, social dumping, environmental dumping, it's like, oh, reinvesting in a place where we can actually pollute, as opposed to. But when it comes to uh, investments by sovereign wealth funds or other actors, I mean, really, really, it's all about, uh, you know, the the investment regime, and does the investment regime, you know, create too many obstacles or barriers or hurdles? Uh, is it risky or not? Uh, are there institutions that would defend the rights of the investor, uh, and so on and so forth? And I personally don't believe that uh, it is uh, bad for the recipient country. Uh, I think every every country should, uh, or each country should, try to think about uh, what it feels comfortable with, in terms of uh, regulations about or concerning foreign investment, including that coming from sovereign wealth funds, and then just stick to the rules. Right. Uh, so it's not that every country needs to be uh, equally forthcoming or equally welcoming to. Uh, you know, foreign investment. They just need to decide, you know, uh, what is their comfort level regarding different types of uh, international money flows and then take it from there. But again, I'm assuming that uh, it is in the uh, best interest of any country, including the United States, to attract investment at the lowest possible cost, right? Thank you. Um, Hussein, could you tell us some of the key findings uh, from the study regarding uh, the Latin American region? Sure. So the most important sovereign wealth fund in Latin America um, is by far uh, Chile's Economic and Social uh, Stability Fund. Um, And uh, it's probably most similar if we're to compare it to other funds around the world, the most similar to Norway's, in that it's it's a mechanism for for investing the surpluses from from the export of of their natural resources. So in Chile's case, um, due to high copper prices over the last few years, they've had a huge, um, a huge balance of uh, payment surplus. And instead of taking that money and spending it on infrastructure projects and, and things like that domestically, which the domestic economy wouldn't be able to absorb, they've instead invested it abroad. And Chile's funds, based on what we found, are extremely uh, transparent. Um, they were, during our research, they were very willing to talk to us, um, to share information with us. Um, and uh, to allow us to publish information about um, about their funds and how they operate, and um, um, and they were very open about the purpose of the fund, which is largely as a tool for um, for counter cyclical uh, fiscal government policy. So basically, during boom times, they'll invest their surpluses in um, in financial securities around the world, and uh, during times of economic contraction. What they'll do is they'll dip into that fund in order to um, in order to bolster uh, domestic government spending. Uh, so you know, hence it's a tool for them of uh, better managing um, and smoothing out their their government spending um, over the economic cycle. And uh, so far, I mean, we've seen we've seen them go through one cycle. We've seen them go from boom down to the current recession. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, to see if the fund um, actually operates in the way it was intended to, as they, um, you know, as they go into the fund right now to um, 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 to look for uh, for the resources to um, um, to go into and back up their their government spending. Does it look like it's going to be a significant contributing factor to helping them meet a deficit? Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, right now what it looks like. It's definitely helped them um, to. Um, to meet their uh, to meet their current spending needs, for example, a huge component of uh, of a fiscal stimulus package the government recently put together um, did come from the sovereign wealth funds. So we are seeing them draw down the funds now, 
and that money is now being uh, put to work to, to stimulate uh, the economy. Uh, what's very interesting is there's a lot of guidelines as to what they can actually invest the money in, um, in terms of you know, the government funds uh, or the sovereign wealth fund, you know, where the money can go, uh, what kinds of securities they can and can't invest in, and how much they should invest and when. But there's uh, little to no guidelines about what they would spend the money on um, you know, once they, they dip into the fund um, and uh, look to spend the money domestically. So it's, uh, it'll be very interesting to see, uh, to see how they choose to spend the money and, uh, and if, um, you know, if, the funds, if the funds are going to continue to grow um, through, uh, you know, through future economic cycles and they'll continue to work in, in, the, in this way. Do they manage it in a way that they don't dip into the principal when they're spending this money or are they actually dipping into that and then replenishing later, at least in theory? That's... Yeah, I believe that they're actually dipping into the principal. Yeah, so it's basically it's it's like a, a big a high interest rate savings account. You can you can think of it that way. Okay. Gokhan, tell us a, a little bit more about some of the major themes around the Middle East. Sure, I traveled there uh, last summer with uh, two of my classmates, and uh, we visited uh, some of the uh, even biggest funds there, um, including KIA, Kuwait Investment Authority. Uh, they welcomed us. They gave us a lot of information. And um, we uh, didn't only meet with the uh, fund de- funds themselves. We also met with uh, investment bankers, with investment management companies, and consultants who do business with these funds. And we got to uh, obtain a great uh, exposure to the region and the funds and how they operate. And um, we realized that um, they're very willing to uh, show that their intentions are purely economic. Um, and they want to contribute to the stability of the global financial system and not become a problem per se. And uh, we reflected that also in our report, these findings. Also, we um, obtained a good picture about the uh, societies of the Gulf area and uh, what kind of role these funds play in local economies in the region and also developing these countries into full-fledged market economies. So uh, these uh, funds are not only important for the global financial system, but also for the development of those countries in Gulf uh, and in, in these developing regions. Thank you. Well, uh, could, could each of you maybe give one more um, point about a major takeaway from the study? And then, uh, Professor Gingham, perhaps you could give a, a wrap-up of something perhaps we should have covered that we haven't gotten to that's a, a major takeaway from the study. So. You can pick anything you want from the study. Yeah, I can go ahead. I think sovereign wealth funds have not really become less important with this crisis. Maybe their asset bases have decreased a little bit, as every other investors has. But going forward, they will be very important. The surpluses are going to get more. They're not going to decrease. So they will become, they will continue to become, even become more important players in the global financial system. So they have to be watched carefully, and um, regulations or rules have to be developed around their investments. So um, the major takeaway is that for me is um, they need to be really paid attention to and they we need to talk with them and we need to understand what their needs are and we need to design our system to facilitate their investments. Yeah, what, um, what I found is very interesting in the case of Chile's funds is um, how important the, um, you know, the, the domestic politics are and the domestic purpose that, uh, that the funds serve and the, the lengths that the government's gone to in order to, um, in order to create a fund um, that represents a legitimate use of, um, of taxpayer money. 
basically. Um, and um, in order for the fund to be successful, in order for the fund to continue to exist in the future, um, the governments really had to develop, um, had to get the buy-in of, um, you know, of Congress and get the, and basically, um, you know, the buy-in of the population at large that the government's going to be investing this money on their behalf. Uh, so I, we tend to look at the sovereign wealth funds as kind of a global, global phenomenon, as something that's kind of inevitably been developing uh, due to kind of macroeconomic forces around the world. But I think it was, it's very interesting also to kind of take the other lens and look at, uh, you know, what does the fund mean to the investing country and the Im impact that it has on its, on its economy and how a well-managed fund can really be a great tool um, that will contribute positively to the macroeconomic stability of, um, of the investing country in the long term. Professor Gein, final thoughts? Yes, and I think the, uh, the report offers a, uh, you know, very great, uh, you know, uh, first uh, look at, uh, you know, all of the uh, reasons why uh, these uh, funds have become important, how they operate, and uh, the differences among them, depending on, uh, you know, the country and, and the fund itself. Um, I think um, I would like to highlight that uh, it is a uh, phenomenon that uh, because uh, it is so recent, it's fundamentally misunderstood, I think, in many quarters. So it's important that, uh, you know, especially policymakers and decision makers, fund managers and so on around the world that, uh, you know, read more about them. Uh, in our report, there is an appendix at the end, uh, which uh, provides like a short reading list. Uh, of, uh, you know, other papers or other articles that one can read after, you know, of course, taking a look at our, uh, our report. Uh, so uh, for those who want to dig deeper into the history of the funds or uh, the realities around the world. Uh, and uh, finally, I would like to point out uh, one uh, issue that hasn't come up, which is that uh, the funds, of course, have also suffered as a result of the crisis. In fact, uh, they've uh, sustained some financial losses. Some of them have lost up to 30% of their uh, asset uh, value, right, uh, in the wake of the crisis, they will recover. Uh, but once again, I think this underlines that uh, these are not obscure actors uh, that essentially are about to take over the world. Uh, they make mistakes, uh, just like everybody else. Uh, they also incur in losses. Uh, they will recover, to be sure. Uh, but then, of course, uh, to the extent that the, uh, there are uh, imbalances in the global economy, to the extent that some countries have ha large uh, current account uh, surpluses, uh, we will see, uh, you know, sustained uh, growth of sovereign wealth funds. And uh, once again, uh, it is so much better that many of these emerging economies set up uh, sovereign wealth funds than that they spend the money recklessly right now. Uh, you know, so I think uh, this is a, uh, for many, many reasons and for many points of view, I think it's a welcome uh, trend in the world right now that we have these sovereign wealth funds uh, being set up in various countries around the world. Thank you all for joining us here at Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.